This is Adam Hill, minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ. Today is a great day to study the Bible. As you listen to today's message, I pray that you're blessed as we study God's Word together. I do want to um, keep Adam in our prayers. I understand that he is doing much better and is very much on the mend, but uh, still not able to, quite ready to stand in the pulpit yet. So I am honored to be able to stand in his place and continue in the series on the book of John. I, I do want you to know that um, Nikki and I, if you see us when I'm not speaking today, I will be, we'll be wearing masks. We are scheduled to get on an airplane on Wednesday afternoon and go to Israel for two weeks. And uh, this is our fourth attempt to go to Israel. <laughs> our, our first time we were ready to go and uh, Trump moved the embassy, the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and the tour operator said there's going to be great civil unrest over there, and they canceled the tour. Our second attempt, we were set to go, and there was this, um, what do you call it, pandemic that came along, and uh, they canceled that tour because Israel had closed their borders. The third time we were set to go, and I fell down some stairs and tore my quad tendon, and could barely walk and certainly couldn't walk without pain, so that canceled that one. This is our fourth attempt, and we're uh, trying to mask up to stay as healthy as we possibly can so that, that nothing will interfere with the trip. Hopefully nothing will interfere. Uh, we are in the book of John, and I'd like for you at this time to stand out of respect for the reading of the Word of God. We're in John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this story is one of the most familiar stories in all of your book, and just about all of us in this room today have heard this story numerous times. But Lord, we are asking, and I'm asking, that this morning you will give us eyes to see this story in a fresh way, ears to hear its message again, and a heart to, to grasp the new reality that this story opens up before us. Lord, we pray that your spirit will be in this room and active in each heart. Lead us closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated, please. I read this story and I think of these two lovely sisters who are heart sick. Their brother has taken ill. They don't know what to do about it. There doesn't appear to be an easy cure, and they watch as hour by hour he worsens. And finally, he is at death's door, and they are beyond desperate. And all they can think is, Jesus needs to be here. They know something about Jesus, and they believe that Jesus has the ability to heal, and, and they're just thinking, Jesus needs to be here. And so they send word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I read this story, and, and I, I identify with it on a very personal level. 
Because you see, on July 15, 2011, my wife of 40 years, Cheryl, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I know what it's like to say, Jesus, the one you love, the one I love, is desperately sick. I know the the terror that grips your soul when you face a life-threatening diagnosis like that. And I know the question that comes right on the heels of that terror that, that, that says, why? Why, God? Why, why her? Why us? Why now? And I'm sure those questions were, were tearing apart the hearts of Mary and Martha as they looked at their dying brother there on his sick bed. And Jesus' answer, at least on the face of it, is reassuring. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus said, to the, in answer to that why question, he said, I'll tell you why. This is for God's glory. This is an occasion for God's glory to shine through. Very similar, in fact, almost identical to the answer he gave his disciples back in chapter 9 when they asked him, Lord, why was this man born blind? And Jesus answered and said, this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, let's be clear about one thing. God never promised us, and he never will promise us, a trouble-free life. But he does promise that whatever trouble comes, no matter what we face, it will be an occasion for him to be glorified and for his glory to be seen in and through us. And so, whatever trouble you're facing, it's an occasion for God's glory. Are you hurting? Well, that's an opportunity for God to show his glory. Are you anxious and afraid? Well, in your anxiety and fear, God's glory can be seen. Are you weary and at the end of your rope and out of resources? Well, at that very point, at the point of your greatest need, there is an occasion, an opportunity for God's glory to be seen. Are you sick? Are you hurting? Have you suffered loss? Even there is an occasion for God's glory to be seen. And let me add, even at the point of death, it's an occasion for God's glory to be seen. And we know that because in the book of John, whenever Jesus talks about his death, he referred to it as the hour of his glorification or the time in which God will be glorified in him. And you say, well, yeah. Yes, Jesus, God was glorified in the death of Jesus, but Jesus' death was, well, it was kind of a one-of-a-kind one thing. It had a special significance that no other death ever has. And that's true. But even Jesus, when he was talking to his disciple Peter about his death, in chapter 21, John makes the comment that Jesus talk to Peter this way to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. So even, even death is an occasion for God to be glorified. And I will say, 
Cheryl died eight months after her diagnosis. But during that whole eight-month period, her hope and her prayer was that God would be glorified. She prayed that if possible, God be glorified by, by her being miraculously healed. But if that didn't happen, she prayed that God would be glorified by the way she faced her own death. And he was. He was glorified. God can be glorified in any circumstance, but, but looking for an opportunity to glorify God is often not at the forefront of our minds when we are facing serious crises in our lives. And that's because there is often a basic contradiction that Mary and Martha faced that we have to deal with somehow. We find this in verses 5 through 7. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. So the question is, and the contradiction is, if he loved them so much, why did he stay where he was two more days after he heard that Lazarus was desperately ill? I can again imagine Mary and Martha thinking, well, we sent word to Jesus. And as they watched their brother dying, thinking, today, Jesus will be here today. And then they wait another day, and Lazarus is even worse. And they're thinking, Jesus needs to be here. Things will be different if Jesus is here. He needs to be here. Where is he? He'll be, surely he'll be here today. But he's not. And Lazarus dies. Even though Jesus had said, this illness will not end in death, Lazarus dies. And, and can you imagine the crisis of faith that that put Mary and Martha and the rest of the disciples into? And they're angry. Oh, you take the, the anger of the people of East Palestine, Ohio, who had a catastrophe happen in their town, and then for three weeks they wait for the Secretary of Transportation to come and address that catastrophe, and he doesn't come, and they're angry. Well, you take that anger and you multiply it by about a million. And you've got Mary and Martha... Jesus could have made a difference, but Jesus wasn't here. Where was Jesus when we needed him? And you know they're angry because when Jesus finally does show up, both Mary and Martha, on two separate occasions, when they first see Jesus, they say the exact same words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They're angry, and they don't know why, and we don't know why Jesus didn't show up. And you know, I've, in my ministry, I've encountered a lot of people who ask angry questions just like that. God, where were you when my child died? God, where were you when... When my husband was having an affair with my best friend and the two of them were making plans together that destroyed our family, where were you, God? 
God, where were you when my daughter was out getting high and transforming from that sweet child that I raised to a hopeless addict? God, where were you when my wife was hit by a drunk driver and paralyzed from the neck down? God, where were you? You could have made a difference, but you weren't here. You were nowhere to be found. We get angry like Mary and Martha did. We may even question God's power or his existence as the people who were present then did. In verse 37, some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? The text doesn't tell us why Jesus delayed those two days. We just don't know. And, and often when we wonder where God was at key points in our lives, at crisis points in our lives, the answer comes back exactly the same. We just don't know. Why didn't God heal that illness that, that took the life of my loved one? And often the answer is simply, we don't know. But I'll tell you one thing that we do know. We do know that every emotion we feel in a time like that is matched by a corresponding emotion in the heart of our Lord Jesus. The Bible doesn't say much about the emotional life of Jesus, but this chapter, John 11, is one of the exceptions. We have several notices in this chapter of, of how Jesus was feeling. Verse 33 says, when Jesus saw her, and that's Mary, when Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And those words, deeply moved and troubled, could likely be better translated as indignant and agitated. Mary and Martha's anger was matched by anger in the heart of Jesus, angry over the circumstances that had brought such pain and grief on the heart, into the hearts of people that he loved so dearly. And then we have two verses later, that famous verse, famous because it's the shortest verse in the Bible, the one that we all wanted to, to, to have as our memory verse when we were kids. That little two-word verse, but, but that verse that carries such impact that simply says, Jesus wept. Whatever I'm feeling at crisis moments in my life, Jesus understands and Jesus feels those emotions as well. When I, when I cry out, God, where are you? My Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken my servant Mark? When I weep, Jesus weeps along with me. During the darkest period of, of, of my grief over the loss of Cheryl, there was a sweet Christian lady who sent me a song. She had lost her husband three years before. She knew what it was, and so she sent me a song by the Gaithers. And truth be told, the Gaithers are not my favorite group in the world. But this particular song had just the right words at just the right time. It said, when I cry, you cry. When I hurt, you hurt. When I've lost someone, it takes a piece of you too. And when I fall on my face, you fill me with grace. Because nothing breaks your heart or tears you apart 
like when I cry. Now, as subsequent events have worked out, it turns out that the sweet lady who sent that song to me is, is now my sweet wife. Jesus feels our emotions, but he does more than just sharing our emotions. He speaks truth into our lives, truth that changes our reality. Take a look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, and now he's speaking to Martha, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus said, I am. The book of John is, is organized around seven I am statements of Jesus. Adam referred to a couple of them last week. Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. And I am the good shepherd. And each of those I am's in the book of John reveals something about the character of Jesus. And it opens up new possibilities for us, for who we are and for what we could be if we follow Jesus. And here we have one of those I am's. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, Jesus had said, Lazarus' illness will not end in death. And his disciples assumed that meant he's not going to die from this disease. But he did die from that disease. What Jesus really meant now is beginning to become clear. What Jesus really meant was, this illness will not end in death because when Jesus is present, death is never the end. I am the resurrection. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. The message of our faith is not just that Jesus has been raised from the dead. It is that he is the resurrection. Physical death is never the final destination for the believer. It is a waypoint on the road to resurrection. As Adam would say, now we can start preaching. Physical death is never the final destination. It is merely a waypoint on the road to resurrection. Jesus said, I am the life. He who lives and believes in me will never die. Someday, this body that you live in will stop working. And our world calls that death and believes that that is the ultimate final tragedy. We have a little bit different viewpoint. We believe that the ultimate tragedy is to be separated from the presence and the love and the power and the glory of our God. And if you are united with Jesus, if you've put your faith in him, that separation will never happen. And death will be, well, it'll be like something I experienced as a small child. My best friend was Stephen. And his parents and my parents were great, great friends. So we spent a lot of time at each other's houses. And there were times that we would be at Stephen's house and it would get late. And, and our parents were having fun doing whatever old people do. <laughs> and they would put Stephen down in his bed to go to sleep. And they would make a little pallet on the floor in Stephen's room. And they would lay me down and I would go to sleep. And then when mom and dad got done with whatever they were doing, dad would come pick me up and carry me, put me in the car. And when they got home, he would take me out of the car and put me out in my bed. And the next morning, 
I would wake up. And the only memory I had was that of going to sleep on a pallet in Stephen's room and somehow miraculously waking up in my own bed. And you see, for those of us who believe that's what death is, we, we go to sleep and then we wake up in the glorious presence of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life, which leads us to a question, which is the most important question that anyone can ever be asked. After Jesus said, I am the resurrection, he asked Martha this question, do you believe this? And her reply is the finest statement of faith in the New Testament. She says, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Martha, bless her heart, she gets a bad rap, doesn't she? You remember that she's the one, when, when her sister Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and soaking in his presence and, and learning from him as his disciple, Martha was the one who was all agitated and worried about cooking and cleaning and getting the table set. And, and, and we look at her and say, oh, Martha, how could you be so... Well, it's Martha. Martha, the anxious, upset, unspiritual sister who comes out with this amazing confession, Lord, you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. She believes. But she doesn't yet fully grasp the implications of that belief. How could she? She won't understand the implications of that until she sees what happens next. Verse 38. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Hmm, wonder what that's foreshadowing. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. We believe. But I wonder sometimes if we get the full implication of what it means to say that we believe. And I think Jesus calls to us and says, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus is resurrection. Do you believe this? And if you do, what new reality will you grasp this week? Kenny, you can go ahead and you and your team can come on up. If you believe that Jesus is the resurrection, what new reality will you face? Will you confront some fear 
that's been holding you back. Because you see, our greatest fear is death. And if, if, if Jesus is the resurrection, then death is not the end. And it's not worthy of being feared. So will you face a fear that you've had this week? Will you go and, and pray and say, God, here's what I'm afraid of. And name that fear. And then say, God, will you please remove that fear and replace it with holy boldness from you? And I believe if you pray that, that God, that Jesus, who is the resurrection, will answer that prayer. Will you seek God's glory in the difficult circumstances that are facing you right now? Will you stop complaining and being bitter and resentful over those painful circumstances? Will you stop blaming others or bad luck or even blaming God for your challenges and start asking God to enter into those circumstances and show you how he can be glorified through it all? Will you recommit yourself to announcing the best news the world has ever heard? The, the news that no matter what difficult, painful, or shameful road you are on, it can be a highway to glory because Jesus is the resurrection. His body on earth today is the church, and we are the church, and so we are confident in announcing that news. For a number of years, I led a, a Christ-centered 12-step recovery ministry. And I loved being a part of that ministry because every week I got to walk among resurrected people. People like Frank, who helped kill his first two marriages and was on his way to killing his third. And then Jesus stepped in. His third marriage is now a solid, happy union. And Frank became the ministry leader of, of that recovery ministry after I left. And now tells other people and, and helps other experience the resurrection power that he has experienced. I got to walk with Rudy, who by all accounts should have died 32 years ago, when drunk out of his mind, he, he ran his car at a high rate of speed underneath a semi-truck. He didn't die that night. That night was the last night he had a drink, because soon after that, he turned his will and his life over to the care of Jesus Christ. Someone asked him, how do you stay sober for 32 years? He said, simple, don't drink and don't die. <laughs> well, as simple as that sounds, he would be quick to add that it's impossible apart from the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. I got to walk with Lenora, who watched three of her four children spiral, spiral into alcohol abuse and then endured her husband's infidelity before he nosedived into a maze of mental illness. But she is now the, the go-to person in her church for people who are hurting and desperate. And because Jesus lives in her, her life radiates positive energy and hope and encouragement and joy. She's a resurrected being. Resurrection power is real. Jesus is the resurrection. Resurrection power lives in him. Jesus is in his church, and so resurrection power is right here. Do you believe this? You can answer that. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Yes. Amen. 
Resurrection power is here, and let me tell you, there's a very specific application for someone who's here, someone who has not turned over their life and their will to the care of Jesus yet. Because when you do that, you come and you enter into his death and burial and resurrection, resurrection through baptism. There's someone here this morning who needs to make that decision. And if that person is you, when we sing this next song, you just make your way right up here to the front. One of the shepherds will be standing here to receive you. And we can rejoice with that resurrection that will take place in front of our very eyes. You can do that now while we sing together this song. Thank you for listening to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Our hope is that it was a blessing to you. If you would like someone to study with or pray with, do not hesitate to reach out to us through our website, rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and you are chosen.